0: You know, whether we're successful or not, Scott, I don't know. I I hope we are, because I think if I had the opportunity to meet the 2.5 million Albertans that potentially are going to vote next time, I think the Alberta party would win the election.
1: Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash forgottencornerpod or visit our website forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner podcast. We acknowledge that the Forgotten Corner occupies unceded Indigenous land. We acknowledge that the Blackfoot Confederacy never surrendered its land in the signing of Treaty 7, but agreed to share it. The Forgotten Corner sits on Treaty 7 and Treaty 4 territory, traditional lands of the Siksika, Kainai, Pekani, Stony Nakoda and Sutina, as well as the Cree, Sioux and Soto bands of the Ojibwa peoples. We also honor and acknowledge that we are on the Métis Nation within Region 3. The Forgotten Corner is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, and if you'd like to check out other progressive podcasts from around the country, just click that link that we provide every episode into our show notes. My name is Scott Schmidt. I'm here alongside my co-host Jeremy Appel, who uh, lives in Calgary but is visiting TO this week. How's Toronto, buddy?
2: it's good um i'm quite hungover right now
1: Um, (laughs) were you out with the big shiny takes boys last night
2: i was yeah we we saw some stand-up um which was great and uh yeah then we went turned down on a guest
1: appearance on the show i see (laughs)
2: oh yeah (laughs) yeah um no but it it was really funny um and yeah, I'm actually going to the Jays game this afternoon, so I may have. To oh, good for you! You're going to get to
1: see uh, Ryu pitch today as they pushed him back till the, today. So you actually would have seen Manoa, so you got ripped off, but no big deal
2: yeah I I Which was I, I was under the impression uh I was gonna see Manoas a
1: lot of but... people were but they went to that six-man rotation at the last minute uh so it, it happens uh last before we get on with the episode tell Eric to stay away from vehicles hey it's it's not his <laughs> it's not his thing man like he should he's a bus kind of guy I think so anyway yeah um you can look well, his Twitter car questions. he
2: he got lucky <laughs> his car was unscathed. yeah
1: his car didn't get hit but i mean i feel like it was a little too close to call anyway uh we have a really really great episode today and uh, i don't want to spend too much time ch- chatting before we get to it because i know you've got a jay's game to get and we've got a busy uh a guest with a busy schedule i'm sure and uh we have a ton that we want to talk to uh this man about today so let's let's get right to it Our guest this week is no stranger to Alberta's political scene, but our guest is he'd like to carve out a little larger space and stick around for a while. Barry Morishita is the leader of the Alberta Party, a role he took over in September of last year, after having spent the previous five years as the Mayor of Brooks and four as President of the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. We're very excited to welcome Mr. Morishita to the show as we hope to learn more about his vision for his, in his new gig, why he chose to take on the role, and what he expects or hopes to see from his party as the 2023 election draws near. Mr. Morishita, welcome to The Forgotten Corner.
0: Uh, great to, to be here. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate oh, I
1: really appreciate you coming out. Uh, I've sort of... Um, as a newspaper guy in medicine hat and you being the mayor of brooks and i've seen you know we've come probably come across each other's names each of us a lot over the last uh, over the number of years but uh, you're really trying to get in the uh, in the thick of it now so uh, we we figured we better bring you on to the show but before we do the whole what is the alberta party uh because that's i think the the message that we want to go with today um, the forgotten corner does not let a guest in here without uh, discussing who they are where they're from and, and 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 what got them to where they are so um I know your father was born in one of british columbia's largest and, and last japanese internment camps uh, before moving to the brooks area as a child. Um, but you were born and raised in brooks. Um, can you just talk a little bit about uh, sort of your upbringing in in the rural or slash urban community of brooks? Sure.
0: Sure. Yeah. So uh, born and raised on a farm uh, here north of Brooks, Um, did all my schooling in the area. Um, You know, I've always been kind of interested in this stuff. Uh, Basically, from the time when I was like 14 years old, politics has always been something that I could talk about, was interested in, was, uh, you know, very, very uh, interested in leadership and the leaders and what made them different stuff, read a lot of stuff was really inspired by a social studies teacher actually that uh came to teach in rosemary from uh, bc and he's he's uh been a mentor actually remains a mentor of mine to this day on a, on a number of things so that's kind of the beginning of it uh i got uh, started a small business right out of uh, started university and then got off got involved in some partners in a business here an auto parts store in brooks and that kind of uh, set the course. I got married a couple of years later. I've got two kids. Uh, actually, my daughter's on city council here in Brooks and the other one's an actor. And I um, joined uh, committees and those kinds of things as you do. Uh, coached some hockey, got, was involved with the community. And uh, out of my rec board experience, that's where I kind of started, is I uh, was encouraged to run for council. So I was like 30, 32-ish or something when I ran um was uh, on for two terms off for two terms came back in 2010 and was councillor until 2016 in the by-election and became mayor and um but i've always been involved in uh the community in some way shape or form and that's kind of been the, the thing that drives me and what keeps me in this uh thing they call politics
1: now this is a man who's told this life story a couple of times because he did that in, in in record time but i'm going to take you backwards just a little bit because I. Sure. Uh, I'm really interested in sort of hearing a little bit about what it was like growing up uh, in Alberta. Did your dad ever? Did he have much memory of of the the, the short time that he did spend in internment camp? Because I know he was a child when he moved to Alberta yeah. with his family, right? So did he have much memory, and did he talk to you about it much at all?
0: No, not not him. My grandmother did, though. So my grandmother was born in Canada, and and she went into the camp in uh, when she was about. Uh, 20 ish I guess would be the age somewhere in there and um, uh, you know my dad was born in right at the end of 1945 uh, in December so that's so he was a baby and and actually my aunt was too my aunt who lives in Brooks here she was also born in the camp she was born in in the year following uh, and they were there for a couple more years before they moved out but um, my grandmother talks about it in the ter- in the sense of you know just remembering what it was like you uh, to to lose things but the daily life and stuff they they very rarely ever talked about what it was like to be in the camp and it's only my connection as when I became mayor and I really was starting to understand our immigrant community as you know Brooks is a very diverse super diverse yeah and uh you know listening to their stories that I really started getting reconnected to mine and why those are what 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 the importance of that is and uh you know I was struck I can't remember, I was at a conference on a, on racism or discrimination uh, held in Calgary. And I remember being on a panel with uh, a couple of people from the university, or one from a university, one from the city of Edmonton. And I was struck by how important it is to tell the story and talk about it. Because I'm, you know, literally one generation removed from being an enemy of this country. That's right. And, And my Japanese side is three generations deep in Canada. The other half of me, which is English, my mom immigrated, didn't immigrate till 1952. But that's not never the side that's ever been discriminated against. So, you know, that that piece of the story, I didn't realize how important it was until I really became the mayor. And um, one of the things about the Japanese Canadian culture, and, and we're only kind of now telling those stories, you see it a lot more in social media. And you see it a lot more in, in, in plays and music and those kinds of things. It's unfortunate because a lot of people that actually lived through it, kept those uh, stories um, inside. And uh, I think there's really good lessons there for us to learn going forward. Uh, We're all the same. We're, 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 it's, it's a human race. It's, it's not a individual race divided by color or creed or religion. You know, we've, we've got to quit doing that. And, um, that's probably one of the, one of the best lessons I learned, but I didn't learn it till later in my life. Um, as other experiences started to come out,
2: did, did you experience, um, like much racism growing up? Cause I mean, you're not, uh, yeah. Um, v- you know, I, I'm not visually, vis- I don't
0: visually present you're right. So I've got privilege there and it's been an interesting fence to run right on when I was young though. Definitely. Uh, you know, I grew up in a small community, and there were only a couple of Jap- Japanese families. They, uh, everybody else looked the same in terms of skin color, and they were either one religion or another. So you always run into that kind of being on the outside. And um, and don't get me wrong, I created my own problems as a young person as well. So I was I was no saint. And <laughs> um, but but yeah, no, it, it, uh, you know, I've been called all the names sure. and uh, all of that stuff at one point in my life or another and um it's interesting you know i don't visually present as asian uh unless i'm really tired <laughs> but i've got my <laughs> kids um my kids actually some in some ways do and i've got nieces and nephews that look way more asian than i do and so they've seen that they've they've faced it as well asked the obvious questions about why um but uh, but it's been an interesting thing because I remember when the Syrian refugee crisis was happening and I was in Brooks here. And uh, of course, Brooks was a landing place, the highest concentration actually per, sure. per capita uh, when that happened. But, you know, I, I was in a lineup. Of you cross- talked a
1: lot of pride about that too at the time, right? I like I, I, I remember Absolutely. reading uh, you you speaking about that. Like you took a lot of pride in being able to do that with the city of Brooks.
0: Yeah. You know, our, our, our plate, the place has evolved a lot and it, it just shows you what can happen when people, um, you know, kind of uh, take the blinders off about what separates us, and 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 be compassionate and have empathy for people who have gone through the very same things. Which is what you see: the threads of immigration and refugee crises uh, throughout the ages. Certainly in Canada's young time, they're all born from the same thing and and the same pressures and the same tragedies and. Uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting how uh, so many people stepped up to do that, but you know it's 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 something that's here um, and it's something that you face. And when people were asking, well, you know, those they were calling them those Syrians, just like they used to say those Japs uh, back in the '40s, right? Sure. In, in World War II, had you ever seen one? I remember being in a coffee line, and finally, you know, it takes a while to have the courage to do these things, but we must do them. You know, I. I, I said, do you know what a Syrian looks like? You know, would you recognize one if he was behind right. Me, right. Yeah. And he said, no. And I said, well, neither do I. All I know is that they're in a place, they're, they're coming here not because they want to, because this is a safe place for them. Um, the very first Syrian um, group I met was a, a husband and wife and his, uh, I think he was two years old, his two year old son at the time. They happened, we happened to cross paths in city hall. He didn't speak a word of English, was there with a uh, with, uh, with the family or uh, a support worker or somebody who was sponsoring him. I can't recall which, that, which where he was coming from, um, but struck by the fact that they were there standing up, um, trying to survive. And then I remember seeing them a year later, they were, they were all speaking English in a year after wow. being shoved out of their community by bombs and terrorism. And uh, here they were making a life for themselves uh, in a small Southern Alberta town, a million miles in, in every way away from their home. And uh, speaks to the resilience of them and it speaks to their willingness to contribute and uh, that we just don't give uh, give them enough credit. And we haven't throughout the time in, um, in this country and in the Western world for people who have uh, done so much to make our communities better and. Uh, we should be welcoming them with open arms, and uh, we should be supporting them every which way we can.
1: What was that like for you? Uh, like, I imagine, because you were b- born and raised in in Brooks, you spent your whole life there. I imagine when you were younger, it was, you know, fairly white. Uh, um, oh. And now I, I, I think it's, you know, well over 100 languages are spoken in the city of Brooks. It's an, It's insane. It's an un- unbelievable statistic. And I, and it's, and it's wonderful for you. What was that like, what is that like to sort of watch that evolution from a kid to, to now, to be part of it at the, uh, as mayor, and then to also sort of watch the the community that you knew as a kid, sort of how it has evolved to embrace or accept this uh, diversity that it's become. Cause there might've been some push at the beginning or. or whatever. Oh,
0: you know, it was, it was, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a struggle. I you know, and, and it, it, there, there's always the um, change, change, you know, any, anytime we see things different, we we tend to frame them in, in a real personal sense, you know, like, if we, if we have change, what does it cost me? Or, and that's how I've heard the, 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 uh, the argument so many times, well, you know, changing our culture, or changing our ways, or, you know, this is costing our, our traditions, and those kinds of things, but, I, but actually, they, they don't, they enrich them, it's like, it's kind of like weaving a cloth, and I'm no weaver or sewer by any stretch of the imagination. Though. Always find people who can do that to be quite incredibly talented, but uh, but it's like weaving more color and more interest into the blanket kind of of our community. We and and again, it brought stories out that I'd never heard. Like you said, I've lived here my whole life, and I remember. I remember uh, having an event in the park, in the Centennial Park, just re- besides uh, City Hall here, and we were talking, uh, just meeting people, I was just meeting people, and we were having a bit of a celebration. I think it was probably for Culture Days or something like that, and, and I came across a lady, a, a black lady, who, uh, who was standing and dancing and just having a good time. I'd never seen her before, but I, I found out she'd been in Brooks 18 years. And I went, uh, so like, you know, why, you know, and I, I, you know, it's a small town, 15,000 people. Eventually, if you stay here long enough, you pretty much bump into everybody. I never did. But it was interesting that she didn't really feel as safe to be kind of out part of the public opportunities that Brooks was offering until, you know, five, six, five or six years ago, which is, which is, again, I think the opportunity, but it's a long, it's a long road from there to from the, where we started to where we are. Uh, we've had a lot of support from uh, Private Enterprise, the company, JBS, as you know, um, they've they've really stepped up in a big way in the last five, 10 years. Um, uh, we've had uh, BCIS, you know, all of these agencies step up, individuals who, who at the very beginning were there with no support stepping up. And it's just, it's taken some time, but, um, you know i'm really proud of the community we live in and uh i, I you know i think there's only better things to come as as uh, as this continues on as they establish families and they they become more and more a part of the fabric of the community i just think thing good things and great things uh bode for this area for sure
1: now before we go into uh all things alberta party I wanna just hear a little bit about your time uh, with the uh, Alberta Urban Municipalities Association as well, because um, that must've been an interesting experience, I would guess. I, I feel, I guess from our standpoint here at the show, we feel like municipalities have sort of been, I hate to use the word under attack, but have been had some things downloaded their way some uh some some not maybe being have the best relationship with the provincial government that they should these kinds of things so can you just talk about your experience with ama and and how did you find it and it it just was it as frustrating was as it feels (laughs) like looking from the outside
0: so i i think there were two two really big aspects of it so for for uh, uh i was on the board for six years seven years nearly and and president for four and uh On the frustration side, yes, Uh, with relations with the provincial government. So I was really part of three, came in as a board member at the tail end of one and then um, was on the executive for the beginning of the NDPs uh, 2015 and then uh, president for uh, the last two, the NDP and and the subsequent UCP governments. Um, Yes, very frustrating uh, because, you know, we. We had some opportunities uh, because municipalities really don't care who is in power. We really don't. We're 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 non-partisan. We know we have to work with who's ever elected, and that's been the methodology of municipalities for a long time. However, as as things have evolved, you know, they've created the municipalities themselves have got their own resources. They've they've gotten more sophisticated in their operations, and we can offer. Uh, a lot to provincial governments and federal governments in order of, uh, to do get the job that needs to be done at the community level, and and we could go through. There's a number of them, right? You know, whether it's policing or development, economic development, social services, all of those things. There's a, a, a number of things that municipalities can contribute to. The problem has always been, remains to, and has even gotten worse. Is the the control that particularly the provincial government wants to maintain over municipalities. And, you know, we are created by a, an act, a, a legislative act. So in essence, in in Alberta, for sure, we're children of the province. We've been told that, certainly. Uh, and not in, a, not in a way to put you in your place, but in a way to demean, which is I think is what's happened over a period of time. Um, we've seen attacks, uh, a lack. first of all, a lack of consultation across the board, the last two governments. Um, you know there's been a lot of checkboxing going on we consulted and and this is not a unique thing to the current government this happened before too i know that because i was there um and uh unfortunately for the province and the people of the province uh this underutilized resource and this underappreciated commitment to community building has really you know is is delayed a lot of things has cost the province and that's too bad and i And I hope to be part of a government someday that that recognizes that on the positive side, though, I can tell you that um, being um, uh, the president of a group of members that range in um, size from small villages to the city of Calgary. There is an incredible still amount of will and a commitment to building communities in spite of all the difficulties. And I, I have to give the federal government some props here, you know, they've, uh, even, even back in Stephen Harper's time when they came out with the gas tax fund that was indexed, no application, you know, simple transfer of money um, used to, to, to do these, this community building, this, uh, what, we, what was necessary. Those are the kinds of things that we needed to happen. And that continued on. We got some extra funding and some other things as went on. But the province has always maintained control of everything and uh i think they've done that to the detriment of everybody but our members are so committed uh i i was fortunate enough as president over four years to tour uh, almost every single member there's 267 i think urban members in the province there's another 65 rural members but very fortunate to have toured them they do an incredible amount of work they do incredible jobs with very little pay uh, they, they get a lot done with very minimal resources and uh, the, bar- the biggest barriers we have are the regulation of the province and the, the lack of uh, partnering uh, that we have with the province. If we could ever get that done, you'd see a lot more happen at the municipal level. And, and I was curious, your, your, your podcast called The Forgotten Corner and by far it feels like southeastern Alberta. Is like we're an anomaly in the province, um, a bit like Northeastern Alberta, but, but it always seems like we're on our own. And so um, you've, you've always seen everybody kind of succeed, so they leave us alone. The city of Medicine Hat's a good, good example of that. Um, but it's not fair. It's not right. And it's, uh, it's been a genuine waste of resources. So that's been my biggest frustration. I mean,
1: there's really no other name we could have given this podcast. Go ahead, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, I want, I wanted to ask specifically about, um, your relationship with Casey Maydu um, when he was municipal affairs minister, because the AUMA um, did from, from my understanding, uh, Made the unprecedented step of uh, sort of issuing a uh, censure of uh, the municipal affairs minister. So, uh, why did you do it? Well, you
0: know, we we again we had worked really hard at the beginning when the UCP first got elected. I think we extended uh, a a lot of olive branches. We I think we talked a lot about possibilities and time after time them. The minister uh, refused to listen, um, imposed rules uh, that were um, detrimental, uh, took funding that uh, without consultations, he uh, changed the LAE, the, the Local Authority Elections Act, without uh, a single taking a single consideration for what the municipalities were looking for fact, every, rep, every change went against what was uh, even the survey they did um, province-wide. And then there was just the genuine lack of respect, to be honest. I, I, uh, I like to think that people are there for the right reasons, and uh, that's how I approach everyone, whether we agree on policy or not, or whether we're, you know, whether we're, we're, we're um, vigorously defending our positions. But um, quite frankly, um, Minister Madhu at the time, uh, as Minister Affairs Minister, didn't treat, didn't treat us very well. Uh, didn't treat us with respect, didn't treat us like a partner. Uh, dismissed our concerns and um, made it impossible for us to have a relationship. And, uh, and that's when we asked for change.
1: Now, we want to get into the Alberta Party. So my transition question, I guess, from this to that would be, It sounds like you look back at your time as Mayor of Brooks um, with a sense of accomplishment. And it it sounds like even amidst the frustration that came with being the president of the AUMA, you still found some accomplishment in that as well and and felt like you were doing some things moving forward. I I guess uh, in the most respectful way, why go from albeit on a smaller scale positions where you're clearly affecting change and clearly making strides and things that you want to do to a role where, I mean, at the very least early on, you got to fight to even get in the game.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And uh, I, it took me a while to get through it. I, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I loved being the mayor. I mean, it was a great, it's a, it's a great job. If um, I, it was, and it was a great job, and I love being part of the AUMA, it was certainly a highlight of my um, political life for sure. Um, but it came down to, you know, a couple of things at the early on, the first things were that it was, um, with AUMA there's some great leadership there, and and I was part of a great group, and um, it was it was time for someone else to do that job, um, bring a new perspective, I, I believe that's a, a necessary thing. And. We're subject to elections all the time, so you never know when things change. So it was um, that was important. And then, and then the other thing was is that uh, you know the the challenges of being a mayor. I I've been involved in municipal politics for sixteen years. That's that's a pretty good stretch altogether. And uh, I I wasn't sure that the next challenge was there. And so when the Alberta Party was had an interim leader in place, I was encouraging um, others to do the job to be quite. Frank, that's what was, I, and I was very supportive of an individual that uh, that was really encouraging, and that was Doug Griffiths, who I think would would have been a great leader. And um, but uh, he was inclined not to do that, and uh, you know we we he mentioned, well, why don't you think about it? I, I really hadn't thought about it at that point because um, political uh, provincial politics didn't really interest me in the sense that that was something that i wanted to do from where i was and this time in my life and all those kinds of things just hadn't but the more we talked about it the more i thought about it and um spent a lot of time thinking about what what why would i do it and why would i why would it look why would it be the alberta party and i guess it's what first attracted me to it it's principle based you know i i come from a background that you know you 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 Lex 7, 9, 13, 5, whatever it is in a municipal council, uh, you you don't usually fly a flag um, during your election period. Uh, You're known in the community, you stand for certain things, people know you, Uh, but when you get in a room with those people, um, you you don't, first of all, you know, it's not like the legislature where you put all of the party, one guy's on one side of the council chamber, one on the other side, people that don't belong in the back or whatever you know how they arrange the legislature Um, but you have a you have a problem in front of you whether it's the budget for this year whether it's buying a fire truck or whether it's investing in a community center whatever it happens to be it's a it's a it's a it's an issue the community needs solved and rather than come at it from an ideological sense you sit down and, and you try to go through the process you bring in experts and you discuss it in public, you bring in public input. You know, That's the only kind of decision-making I've ever made. And when I was watch what's going on provincially, I, I, I fail to understand why that can't be done, except just the will of people's priorities is different. And when I look at the NDP and the UCP, their priorities are really clear. They wanna be in power. Uh, they wanna win in order to reverse everything the last guy did. Which is not progress i'm sorry to tell you Um, progress is made when when people take a step forward together and we haven't done that in alberta for 10 years and so uh, when the alberta party option was there it it gave me an opportunity and people that think like me and uh, that there was maybe hope for politics provincially we've become increasingly divisive and vitriolic in our our conversations we we attack people personally. We call them names. We make jokes at their expense. We uh, we attack them on social media with all kinds of things that are available, and it's ugly and it's nasty. And guess what? It does nothing to advance the province of Alberta or the people that live in it. Um, it advances some people, and that are the elected officials at the provincial level. At least that's what they hope it does.
1: I mean getting 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 along with each other ha- is is a thing we hear all the time. And and I I do want to mention because you know this is something that you can actually we can look back in your history and point to the this is something you've done before. Like I know that when you um and we're gonna start with the softball of your questions and we're gonna work way up our way up, <laughs> don't you worry. <laughs> but uh when you first ran for council in, in Brooks, I read that you called every uh um counselor and 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 had a very respectful conversation with them, thanked them for the service, said you were running for yourself and representation of your age group and these kinds of things, uh, not running against them. And, and I thought that was, you know, that's a really compelling way to enter politics. Um, but politicians are always talking about that. And it almost always means I'm willing to work with anyone who wants to do everything I want to do. Yeah, I read I... the Re- Alberta Party website now. It's talking about the same things that you're talking about today. Uh, we've got to eliminate as much partisanship as we as possible and work together for all Albertans. This is something that I can tell that you've been passionate about. I guess my question would be, are you actually confident that you can enter what is 2022 Alberta politics on in this landscape and make a dent in what is everything you said, very vitriolic and very uh, uh, divided?
0: I, I, I hope so uh, and don't get me wrong I have days when I wonder why uh, because quite frankly sometimes the message doesn't get through because you know I, I'm uh, you don't read about Barry in the mainstream media saying uh, X was really X for doing something really X you know we don't we don't do that um, we try to we, we, we don't mind pointing out bad policy or bad decisions uh, but we we try to Come over the top with a solution, or at least a direction of a solution, and you know it's it's not it's not sexy. It doesn't get picked up. In fact, my conversations with some media in the last couple of weeks had pointed to that. Like you know, how do you get in the game, so to speak? Because um, it's a contest at the end of the day. The election's a contest. You got to win the contest, and, and I'm really confident the Alberta Party would. Do a good job uh, if they were ever in positions of governance, whether it's uh, as government or opposition or whatever. I, I believe that, but getting in the game is the hard part. And and so, but 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 I in in the very soul of me, I believe most Albertans don't really want it. It it serves the purpose uh, of defining people, and because there's no other opportunity for them to be defined, this is what we've chosen. Uh, the current governments, the current leaders, the current way the last two have gone after elections has been about fear and tactics that scare people and uh, worry them. Um, There's not hope provided here. And I believe that's what people really want. Um, You know, whether we're successful or not, Scott, I don't know. I I hope we are, because I think if I had the opportunity to meet the two and a half million Albertans that potentially are going to vote next time. I think the Alberta party would win the election. However, that's not a realistic thing. And so you've got to find ways to connect with them. And uh, that's our struggle, you know, in a, in a very small, simple box, that's our struggle is um, getting people to spend a little bit extra time and pass the headline of of uh, of the podium politics that's played now between the two main parties in Alberta, and and look at a place that can actually solve their problems, make them be part of the process again, and 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 turn Alberta into what it what it what it, what the promise was made. It's you know it's not very long ago when con- Alberta politics were conducted significantly different. And politics is never going to be smooth and perfect, right? It's always going to have Bad players, bad actors, bad policy, and self-serving going to happen from time to time. But if, but we've lost the whole sense of what we're here for. Um, we're not. I'm not here because uh, Barry wants to be the premier. I'm here because people need a different approach to politics, and I'm 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 leading that charge, offering that up. And uh, I that's 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 our challenge and uh, the promise that we make for sure.
2: And are, are you looking to, to, like, change the party? Because, I, I you know, I, I remember during the last election, uh, looking at the Alberta party platform, and for the most part, it wasn't very different from the UCPs. Um, I mean, on, like, social issues and stuff, I mean, you know, the tone was a lot more moderate. But, I mean, it it's still, to me, it seemed like it was... Um, pretty conservative. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, but like almost like a compromise between the yeah. old PCs and like the wild rose.
0: Yeah, don't no, you know? I I I get what you're saying, Jeremy. And then again, this is part of the challenges that you can't. It's really hard to um uh, get the message through that there is a a a pathway. In the middle, in between these left and you know, in between the the ideologies that we seem to be fighting here in Alberta, in particular, that there's a way to progress uh, through some compromise and through some better uh, governance components. And you know, I I I make no I, I make no apologies for the way I want to do it because I think that is the right way to do it. the The problem is, yes, that that do you do you end up just standing in the middle, which is why I don't really like the term centrist, because centrist means you never move and and you do move. That's the that's the beauty of governing from a different place. So to your point about policies that are, you know, whether they're 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 not bold enough or they're not, uh, you, you know, I, I think um, I, you know, I can't speak to the decisions of the past, but yeah, you know, I think you're going to see platform and policy come out that's going to differentiate just quite a bit differently than the last elections. And that does mean that there's going to be certain people who who probably wouldn't consider voting for us uh, for that reason, and and that's okay. I, I I recognize that you know not everyone's going to vote for us. We're going to govern differently, but that that voting for us uh, means that uh, you, you really believe in something, and so I think you're going to see that evolve over the next several months. Uh, we've taken some positions on some things as as as, as things have evolved, but. Uh, You know, we're going through a big process of a citizen-led, excuse me, a citizen-led democracy exercise on some big questions about uh, education reform, on health reform, on uh, what what do we need to do specifically about the curriculum? What do we need to do about revenue in the province? How do we readjust and and set ourselves up for success in the future? It's going to take some hard conversations about things. People never like to talk about uh, things that might adversely affect them, or certainly initially, or that they might seem that they're going to adversely affect them. But the current road we're going on, we haven't had a we haven't had a hard conversation in Alberta about anything for a long time. We, we ride the wave of resource revenue to get us from point A to point B continually, and um, <laughs> it's kind of funny when even the pundits talk about, you know. The way to get elected is to get lucky, basically, right? You get lucky. And uh, in Alberta, you, you ride the wave of oil prices and you get in. And really, is that is that as good as we're going to get in this province? So, you know, I think we're going to have a lot better, uh, more pointed policy going forward, Jeremy. I, uh, I, I Because I think people actually are are a lot more bolder than politicians in a number of ways. So we're hoping to have them very much more uh, part of the process going forward. and And we'll see what we come
1: up with. Now we're going to get pretty policy specific here. Like I'm going to put you on the policy spot a little bit. I've read uh, across the Alberta party website, looked at the the three-phase plan, for example. I've got a couple of questions on things that I saw that I like that you were promising, wondering how you're going to accomplish that. A couple of things that I saw that I'm not sure I agree with how you guys are going about. We're going to go from there and then uh, we're going to hit you with the real hard stuff from the listeners uh, at at the end here. But um, first things first, uh, this free this this three phase plan to sort of uh, get Alberta back on track. I guess uh, phase one is essentially getting people back to work jobs. I mean, it sounds like a, a your typical political party plan. We're going to do uh, phase two is empower communities. Phase three is to innovate and transition. So my first question um, in the jobs uh, thing, the one thing I saw that I, I I think I might like is this idea that grant funding or, or or subsidies or things like this for businesses would be tied to them having to hire like like if we give you money to get people back to work you have to put them back to work I like that I want to know how it gets accomplished i want to know how do you avoid employees being hired to get that cash and then laid off once it comes kind of thing and believe me I don't put that over on on business
0: yeah no you, you know that's a good point i I think when it comes to the, the, the actual operation things, I think we, you know, I, I, that's not my forte, right? Like the details of it, but I can tell you this is that our approach is different. Um, and, you know, this, this is uh and it's whether it's social services or a jobs grant or whatever, we spend far too much effort and time uh, figuring out whether people are actually eligible or not and less, and we should be spending more time saying, OK, we've got a, a, a business in front of us that says, you know, we're going to create this many jobs. We need uh, the grants available. Yes. OK, um, we we need to spend less time doing that part. And more time at the other end saying, OK, your promise was, M, you know, uh, was this many jobs, was this much uh, following that up on the back end and then holding people accountable. Um it should be the same way, but government does it the other way right now. They, we spend months and months trying to make sure you're eligible. We pile up this huge bureaucracy to do that. Uh, and then by the time that program's ready to go, it's either too late or short or takes too long. We've got to switch the way government works. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I can't tell you 100% that we would eliminate anybody getting money that they shouldn't or somebody kind of jobbing the system but I can tell you that we would be more efficient at it. And and we need to trust people to start with. Um, You know, people often talk about people not trusting politicians. Well, guess what? We don't really trust people. When When you're a disabled person applying for Asian and it's an eight or 10 or 12 page application, what does that say about what we think? What does that say what government thinks about individuals in this province? We don't trust them. We need to start to do that. And we're we're going to have bumps on the road, but we we need to start there. And if we start there, those systems will work themselves out. We'll always have bad players. I accept that. That's part of life. Um, but we spend far too much time on eliminating them, and and at the, at the expense of everybody else who's who's there. So, you know, I I, I can't promise people wouldn't get uh, money they shouldn't, and I can't promise you that. Uh, There won't be bumps along the way, but I can promise you it'd be more efficient and it would start with us trusting people.
1: I mean, it's easy to trust people. And and, uh, as far as individuals, I can, I can trust people across the board. It it gets a little harder as you get up the ladders and into the corporate world and these kinds of things. And so I guess what I would say would, would, would ask would be, can, can Albertans trust that like, let me start with a little like the UCP's tax break, for example, which I know the Alberta, and we're going to get to that, but the Alberta Party is saying for now we're going to leave corporate taxes alone. But their corporate tax cut did not lead to jobs. It led to share buybacks, gifts to CEOs, dividends, these kinds of things. So it was just profit in the pocket of people. This really was a giveaway. Their strategy was let the businesses have the freedom and they'll do the right thing, which was Anyone with a brain knew going in that wasn't going to work. Can we at least trust that policies from the Alberta Party, or how would you guys shape policies so that it doesn't? It, it, it. I guess that they're they're written in a way that is thinking about Albertans first, corporations second.
0: Yeah, and I I, I think that that's the we got to remember why we're here. We're here for people, right? There's all kinds of ways to serve people. And, and certainly through the capitalist and the market and free market and all those kinds of things, there's a there's a way for people to be served by that as well. But government is about people, and and we have to make sure that that's primary. And I, you know, I think even the, you know, the tax break when you look at corporate taxes, uh, and you probably see the Alberta Party, you know, where in our shadow budget we have a cave for small business tax to be gone. And and that's because we need to look at how. Uh, revenues generated broadly across the province, and how that can be more fair, and how you can actually then serve people by doing that. So
1: what's unfair about taxing profit?
0: Well, you know, well, there's, there's a couple of things that's not unfair about taxing profit. And I, and I'm not advocating for the elimination of income taxes. What I'm saying is that your revenue has to be broadly based to reflect activity. Because activity, Creates cost, and when uh, when when our tax system is, gets a, a bunch of money from uh, in non-progressive ways, like income tax is not progressive the current way it's set up, and I and I think that all has to be looked at because we need to modernize the entire system. Um, we, Are you thinking toward things?
1: flat tax or more the other way
0: yeah no I think you have to I think I think we have to really explore the ideas of consumption taxes in the province of Alberta we have 90,000 people that pay no taxes and and the number varies about who's working here right now that pay no taxes in Alberta use our services for a significant portion of the year we have a visitor economy where millions of people visit and pay nothing I mean in my time as AUMA I can tell you that the, the, the town of Jasper, which uh, my good friends there, you know, 4,200 people have to support the infrastructure for 40,000 people and, and they don't get any money, any extra money out of it. They don't get like a, uh, a, a tax based on visitors or, or some toll. Um, you know, we, we haven't looked at the way the world has changed the way costs are created. And, uh, So I think we have to take a look at a full examination of that. I, you know, I, people, uh, whether they're corporate corporations or individuals, I think individuals more early for sure. They recognize when they then explain value for money, they, they accept that there's a cost to all of the things they do. Um, but when we only strictly talk about one side of the ledger, raise taxes, lower taxes, you know, raise expenses, lower expenses, um, but we never put those together to make sense. You know, we do a disservice. So I I don't think we can segment one piece out and say, well, we're going to fix it by doing this. You got to look at that whole system and modernize the entire thing. And that means is that you have to, again, have these hard conversations about doing things differently. And uh, it's been a long time since we've had those. So when it comes to corporate tax, when it comes to property tax, the education property tax, for instance, I really have have an issue with that. you know, when we develop those specifically, uh, I think what we have to look at is, is what's best for the province and what's best for the people overall, and be brave enough to make those changes. Uh, that's, that's what it comes down to. And so um, I'm hoping that our, as our platform is de- developed, we start to walk our way down towards those bolder considerations, because uh, that will make us, put us in a better place if we do that. one thing about companies one thing about corporations they 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 pick where it's best for them they don't go there because they want to make alberta better they go there because their corporations serve better in alberta and so with that in mind as long as they know the layout of the land and they can make money as long as they have consistency uh and as long as they know what's in the future um you know they're more likely to consider it um paying more isn't the the end all i've run into lots of companies who Are willing to be in a certain jurisdiction because whatever um but consistency is the biggest thing and that's something that we we really don't have here
1: what is the i don't know vision statement i guess of of the tax reform is is the end goal increase revenue is the end goal alleviate stress off the individual is the end goal free up the market like What would Uh, the, what would the sort of the basic structure idea of reforming taxes? End so,
0: so there's, there's two things. One is that, uh, you know, it's, it's been since the mid eighties when Albertans have actually paid enough in taxes to cover the services. If it wasn't for resource revenue, windfall revenue, royalties and such, uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we'd be, we'd be in horrible shape.
1: Totally. Um,
0: and the, and, and kind of the vision of Lawheed was that, you know, you take that resource revenue or a portion of it, certainly, and you, you benefit from today for it. You know, the current people that are working and, and living in Alberta benefit some, but certainly the future generation because it's a non-renewable resource. We went away from that and we've used the, uh, as I mentioned before, the windfall revenue to kind of balance us, get us elected, pay for programs, buy roads, whatever it is. And it's not sustainable.
1: The Alberta advantage.
0: Yes, it's not sustainable. Someone is going to pay. And, uh, you know, the the last budget's a good example. $13.2 billion in in revenue. We show a $500 million surplus. Um, Yet we're spending uh, $64 billion, which is, uh, I can't remember what the percentage is up again and i'm not saying that we don't have increases what i'm saying is that you have to balance the ledger and i know you can't you might not you can't do it overnight but certainly we've got to do a better job than that it, you know if uh the the things that are not in our control which is world energy prices i mean uh whether it's a war or a shortage or whatever it happens to be we can't control that so for us to budget that much of our our bank that much of our budget on those facts is is terrible, foolhardy. And uh, I am a fiscal conservative in the sense that as a municipal, we're not, we're not allowed to run deficits. We have to balance every year, no matter yeah. what the current situations are. You have to make choices. You either but you, get but more revenue. But you
1: had or... to then properly ah. tax your, right? That's you right. had to properly tax
0: have in had. order to do that. Absolutely. So you couldn't get away with running a deficit and hope the oil price went up and then you could balance next year. Uh, We can't do that. We're not allowed to. So we've always had to make, municipalities have had to make tough choices. You either raise taxes or cut services and your electorate tells you what they want. They, They either want the services they want and they're willing. And I have never seen, I have never seen, honestly, a council ever get thrown out or lose in all of my time Specifically based on taxes, ever, I've seen them be thrown out because of um, scandal. I've seen them thrown out because they never call back. I've seen them thrown out because they made a big mistake with a with a project. But
1: we just I had an entire remember. council turnover over rec centers, basically. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I get it.
0: And so, so you know, if you haven't passed them, Jeremy's is,
1: leaving us. He's going to the Jays oh, Jeremy, game. Okay. See you, buddy.
2: Sorry, Barry. It was good talking to you, and uh, we'll have to have you on again. To uh, yeah,
0: sounds good. Enjoy. The we're longer. second
1: place to re-you today. That's fine.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's all right.
1: So yeah, no, go so ahead. I, I
0: think we got to balance it out, and in order to balance it out, we have to have hard conversations. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think people want to know what's going on. We've been left in the dark for so long uh, that um, you know, I don't, I don't think we're getting the result we need.
1: I think people in the moment like fiscal conservatism and in reality, like their services.
0: Yeah. I, I, yeah, you're, I think that's accurate.
1: You know, and uh, that's a hard balance to find as a political party. It's a hard thing to deal with because a lot of the voters and a lot of the people, especially sort of the membership of parties that choose who gets to be in charge tend to be, I don't want to say like but it's not very well represented by the under uh achieving (laughs) that's the best right like uh, fair enough you know and so we're talking about um i always see this sort of fight to balance pleasing the base and, and actually doing the right thing for all of alberta because we have an inequality problem here we have issues you know and i see i guess what I see from the Alberta party is some things I can really get behind. And then others that I think I'm wondering why we're bothering. Like the idea that debt's a big problem right now. When our debt's actually exceptionally low, we don't really spend to our GDP like we should. I wonder, like, because I saw on the website, it said, you know, we're, we're happy that the the UCP was able to basically match their expenditures to their revenue but is that the, is that what matters or is it what you spend it on?
0: Yeah, what no, matters? I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, the premise of what you're saying. And
1: you don't reject the premise of my I question. I don't reject
0: the premise of what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I had quite a, oh man, I tell you that's a, that's a whole other section of government that we could talk about. But, but when it comes to, um, yeah but when it comes to financial management there I think that we have to remember again why we're here. we're here for the people services we provide you know what government uh, government isn't in power to build a hospital you know you're 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 put in power to deliver people's health care now whatever place whatever you got to do to do that that's what you should be doing but but to kind of rest your laurels on you know putting a billion dollars in a hospital or $50 million in an overpass and say, look what I'm doing for you, um, is, is really the wrong way to look at it. Sustainability for a province and for, for this province, and should be for everyone, but certainly in my perspective, this one, is that people have to be well served. I, I don't think Alberta is successful unless five and 10 years down the road, I can say that we're healthier, that we're better educated, that less young people are dying from opioids, that less people are, are, are struggling with mental illness, that less people are um, barely making it on subsistence payments for H. That, that there are, there should be fewer homeless people in Alberta in four or five years. Yet all of our the the, the direction of our policies um, doesn't really serve that end. And as we don't use the proper financial tools, in my mind, to allow us to do that. Because you know what? If we have consistency in revenue, guess what? I As, as a government, you can make consistent investments, you know. Uh, you know that you've had that conversation with Albertans that says education, um, we, we've got growing number of students. It costs this much dollars for students to. So therefore, we're going, you know, the education system can count on this kind of uh, input in terms of the financial resources to do the job. That isn't the only thing we should be doing, but it certainly should be one of the things that we can count on um, because there's, there needs to be innovation and all kinds of things brought into all this stuff. But when it comes to the financial resource, uh, a, a, a principal or a, or a school board Shouldn't be wondering whether he's going to have enough money because he's got 100 more students. Can he hire three or four more teachers to cover those? That shouldn't be a conversation we have every year, Um, and it shouldn't be. uh, But we we have to because of the way we budget, because of the way we think about revenue and investments uh, in people. And and we got to get it. We got to fix that up, because this is only going to get harder. This is not going to get easier. And yes, Alberta might be in a great position when it comes to debt today. But um, we, we've gone from a, a position of being extremely uh, in a position to control our own destiny to start to watch that disappear. We're spending two or $3 billion a year in debt servicing now. It's only going to get worse. So those are the things that lead to sustainability that allow to make those regular decisions On the services about people that matter and if we don't address that in in the system itself uh we're we're going to be in trouble and uh those base things that serve people are going to be the first to be uh put to the test unfortunately
1: my pushback on that i guess would be that uh we we went out of our way uh after the boom in 96 to pay off debt natural gas actually did that not oil um, yep. but we our revenues paid off our debt. A lot of people, including myself, would argue that going that two decades later, being forced to play catch up with infrastructure, play catch up with education, play catch up with healthcare, forced us into debt again. Anyway, that balancing the yep. budget just created deficits of not money. But deficits of service, deficits of infrastructure, deficits of, of necessity that we had yep. to deal with two decades down the road. How do you balance doing that while balancing a budget? Tune in next week for part two, uh, which will also feature several questions from listeners, um, putting him through a little bit of a gauntlet. So uh, looking forward to that. It is that time in our show where we thank those of our patrons who go way above and beyond anything we could ever hope for. To Nicola Dinicola, Chris Sturwold, Dave Bonmiller, Darius Beargard, Farah Chaudhry, and the Big Red Machine. Ray, we love you. Thank you so much. To our other patrons and listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, are Are we giving patrons part two more? Yeah, it's on there already. Oh, if you're a patron, you can listen to part two immediately. Anyways, thanks for stopping by, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Take care.